how did we get this? And, and why, does, why does reading the Gospel of John even matter? And what we learned is that the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really give us the record of the, the life of Jesus. And I don't know if there's any more important question for you and I to answer in our lives than the question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus really? I mean, you, you could ask 100, 100 people that question and you might get 10, 15, 20 different responses, ideas, thoughts about who Jesus is, right? You'd, you'd hear things from others like, oh, Jesus, yeah, he was a, I mean, he was a, he was a great teacher, and you'd hear other things like, oh, Jesus, um, he was, I mean, isn't he the guy that like, he performed miracles, right? Uh, or Jesus, isn't he the one that they say that, that he died on the cross and that he rose again, but I'm not so sure. Or some people would say, oh, well, Jesus, uh, he, was a, he was a prophet. He was one of many prophets, a, a messenger from God. So who is Jesus really? And we can't just make assumptions. I mean, this is too critical. This is too important right? And all of us have to, to come to grips with who Jesus really is. C.S. Lewis said he's either the Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. So what do we think? What do we believe? And all of us have made, like, there have been people that I thought I knew, or at least from afar, or, you know, I made snap judgments about for, for the good or for, or for ill, Right? Really, in order to get to know a person, you've got to let that person introduce themselves to you. Like, tell them, let them tell you about them. And then, and then you've got to just rub shoulders with them to, to truly get to know them, right? Well, thankfully, as we open the, the, the opening chapter of this letter that John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, he wrote, he wrote as a record of the life of Christ, what we have is God's own description of who Jesus is. It's what Spencer read for us earlier, and we want to dive a little bit deeper into it in John chapter 1, and here's how it begins. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word is what John is talking about. So what's the Word? Well, the, in the Greek person's mind of that day, the, the Word was the Greek word logos. And, and to, the, to the Greek, the logos was kind of defined as this, this foundational energy or force that kept all of the cosmos in order and functioning. The Greeks, they believed in a plethora of gods, but they believed that the, the logos was like the order of it all, the, the sustainer of it all, the, this, this force that, that held everything together and from which everything came. But what's astounding is that in John's letter here, in his words, as God is inspiring John to write these words about Jesus, John is claiming that Jesus was this logos. And to the Greeks, they would have thought, well, no, no this, there's no way, like, um, the force, the, the, this power, it can't become a human being. And to the Jewish people, they would have thought this was blasphemous, that, like, God could become a human being. 
And yet that's what John is saying. And when he talks about the word, he's referencing Jesus because of what we'll read in the rest of John chapter 1. It becomes very, very clear. So what was John saying? (laughs) A few things. I mean, he begins and he says, in the beginning was the word. This is a reference, right, to the very first three words of the Bible as a whole. The book of Genesis starts with, in the beginning, right? And in the beginning, what? God. And God did what? And God created the heavens and the earth. And so from the very beginning, John is saying Jesus has existed. He's the pre-existent, self-existent one. It's not like when Jesus was born at Christmas time with Mary and Joseph, that that's the first moment or time that Jesus existed. It's the first time that he took on human flesh, but he always existed. And then the text goes on to say, and the word was not just with God, but the word was God. So now John's making a very, very significant claim that Jesus, who came onto the scene as a man, was actually God in human form, taking on human flesh. And then it says, and God created everything through him. It says, John is saying that Jesus was involved in the creation of all that is. So if we want to know who Jesus is, there he is. And this is his introduction. This is God's own introduction through the writing of John about who Jesus is. And this sets us up for verse 14, which is this profound verse that again speaks about the word Jesus. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. I think it's the message paraphrase that says, and Jesus took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He came to dwell among people, among humanity. God came near. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus. And so, why did he do this? I love how Andreas Kostenberger, one theologian, puts it. He says, in Jesus, God has come to take up residence among his people once again, in, this, in, in a way even more intimate than when he dwelt in the midst of the wilderness Israel in the tabernacle. Moses met God and heard his word in the tent of meaning, but now people may meet God and hear him in the flesh of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to reveal who God is to you and me. If we want to know what God's like, we only have to look at the person of Jesus. And John 1.14, after it says Jesus moved into the neighborhood, took on human flesh, came into our world, it says, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And John goes on to say, and we've seen his glory. We've seen the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And the glory was in, was in the unfailing love and the faithfulness. Jesus came to, to show us both the character of God and to share the truth of God that every single human being desperately needs to know and experience. So again, if you want to know what God is like, we only have to look at Jesus. And that's what I love about the Gospel of John. It, it just 
It just shows us who Jesus is. And so whether you're here and you're like uncertain or you're exploring or wondering or whether you've been a believer for 40 years, let's reintroduce ourselves to Jesus. Let's get to know him in a new way or perhaps for the very first time through John's incredible letter and his incredible description. And in John chapter 1, we find some more descriptors of Jesus, about Jesus. He says, the word, remember that's talking about Jesus, gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus is the life. I don't know if, if you were here last week and you remember we, we went towards the end of the Gospel of John where John kind of gives the whole purpose of why he's writing this book. And do you remember what he said? He said, um, man, it, the, the Bible couldn't contain all... Jesus did many other miracles and signs. And, and then John says these words in John chapter 20, I think it's verse 5, says, uh, but these things I have written to you so that you might believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you might have life in his name. Jesus is life. He's the life giver. He's the one that created life at creation and he's the one that sustains life. And he's the one that is the hope of life that goes beyond death, eternal life. And it says that this life brought light to everyone. Jesus isn't just the life, he's the light. Well, why do we need the light? Well, because we live in a dark world, don't we? (laughs) I mean, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian um, or believe in the Bible to look around this world and go, man, it's a mess. It's dark. So often in the scriptures, darkness, it's, it's connected with things like death and loss and hatred, sin, greed, selfishness. And there's plenty of that, isn't there? <laughs> it's all around us. And, and truth be told, if, we're, if we get real honest, it's also inside of us, isn't it? Some of that hatred. Some of that greed. Some of that selfishness. And that's why Jesus came, he came to be the light. And it's because of that, our sin and our selfishness and the greed in us, the greed in the world, the pride. It's the reason that John, later in John chapter 3, goes on to say that, uh, that, that, that a judgment is coming. He says, listen, the light shines in this darkness. That's, that's why Jesus came, to, to bring light into the darkness. And he says, and the darkness can never extinguish it fully. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that even in this dark, messy, greed-filled, sin-filled, pride-filled world, that there's still like these these little pockets of light? Like we still get to experience love. We still experience joy. We have chicken wings. I mean, like, like there's, I mean, there's, man, Jesus is the light. And and he's, he's, there's like this common grace that we still see, and yet there's something that's, that's so missing in our world and so much missing sometimes in us. And, and it's because of the darkness of the world and the darkness in us that Jesus says a judgment's coming. In John chapter 3, 
John writes more about this. He says, and judgment is based on this fact. Look at it. God's light came into the world. And yet people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for, for fear that their sins will be exposed. Because that's what the light does, right? It exposes the darkness and it exposes what's perhaps hidden in the darkness. And we've all got hidden stuff. And so the light, like when it first comes on, it's like blinding and it's, it's uncomfortable. And yet it helps us see. See what we really need to see in our world and, and in us. So that, so that we can do what is right and, and come into the light, to embrace the light, the light of Jesus. So why is all this important? Well, if, if Jesus really is God, then he's more than a man. That means that everything that he said carries a whole, whole lot more weight, right? And, and, and I mean, if he's not God, well, then we should just turn off the lights, close the doors, and head home. Because if Jesus is just, I mean, there's been, there's been lots of great teachers and teachings, right? And there's been lots of different prophets that have seemingly spoke on behalf of God or some God, right? And, and there have been other great moral people, right? But if Jesus really is God, and he really did go to the cross and die for our sins and then rise from the dead, then what Jesus says matters. And yet we don't always treat Jesus and his word that way, do we? Like, hey, man, if the Bible, if it, if it works out for me, it's, if it's helpful, if, it, if it's convenient. I mean, we, we might not say it that way, but... So many times, let's just get honest, like that's how we live. But if, but if Jesus is God, then what he says goes, or it should go. It, it should change how I respond to his word. It should cause me to want to align my life with him, with his help. I mean, he, he extends grace for when I blow it, and he extends strength and power to live out his truth, to, to, to actually be the light in the world. That's what he wants to do through his church, through followers of Christ. So this is really important. And why is it important that Jesus is the life? Well, if, if he's the creator and the sustainer of life, and that's where we all come from, and that's why we're still sitting here breathing today, and if we want any hope of real abundant life in the here and now and any hope of life beyond the grave... Because none of us, none of us, guys, and this community knows this right now, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. So if Jesus is the life, we better, we better know this Jesus. And the description that John gives is that Jesus is also the light. We need to see ourselves for who we really are so that we can we can then confess and own and, and, and we can step into the light of Christ. So, the text goes on and, and John gives some more of what happens in this moment as he's describing the word, Jesus. 
He says he, speaking of Jesus, came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. That is, he came to the Jewish people who had been looking for a Messiah and a Savior. Jesus himself was born into a Jewish family. And it says, and yet his own people even rejected him. So if you've ever felt rejected, even rejected by your own, whether your own family, your own crew, your own team, your own friends, you're in good company. Jesus has been there. He, he's been and felt rejected And yet, verse 12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he gives this description. It's not like children born of passion or or even plans, (laughs) but born spiritually, like a new spiritual awakening and birth coming alive to the God who loves us and in a relationship with Jesus for the first time. He says, children of God. Now, that's an interesting phrase because, I I mean, I hear that phrase all the time. I hear people say all the time, oh, we're all God's children, right? It's a great phrase. It sounds good. It sounds loving. It sounds inclusive, right? The only problem is it's not true. Oh, I better duck. Like, Todd, how could you? No, I, I know, I mean... Sometimes it's, it's semantics and what people are really meaning and what they're saying, but there's many people that believe that, hey, we're, we're all God's children. Now, I believe that we're all God's creations, okay? We've we known that from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and following, right, that we just read. We're all God's creations. We're, we all have the ability, every human being has the ability to reflect the image of God, the image of his love and grace. It's why you, you know some people that aren't even Christians, they never go to church, um, and yet they're, they're loving or, or they're kind or they're generous. That's because they're reflecting the God that created them. Whether they have a relationship with him or not, it's possible that, and this is how light is still popping through in our world. And because of this, every human being is valuable and loved. But that does not mean that all of us are God's children, John tells us how a person explicitly becomes a child of God. And it's not just by being born into the world as a human being. He says it's all who believed him and accepted him. Those are the ones he gave the right to become children of God, believing in him. And not just with our brains, like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. Yeah, that sounds good. And I mentally assent to these truths or these facts. No, belief has to do with like entrusting our lives, like putting the weight of our life in the person and work of Jesus, the word, and accepted him, didn't deny him or reject him or just put him off or not make a decision about it, but welcomed him into their lives, not just as savior, but as, as the leader and the Lord of our lives. And it's to those that he gives the right to become children of God. John goes on. He says, the following day, John, now this is not talking about John, the the one that's writing this letter, this record of Jesus' life. This is talking about John the Baptist. We heard a little bit about him earlier. Uh, The following day, John, John the Baptist was again standing with two of his disciples. See, people had been following John the Baptist because he was... 
I mean, he was kind of an interesting character, and he was baptizing people, and he spoke the, the truth of God, and, and people were drawn to him. But John's whole purpose was to point people to Jesus. And, but, but people, they were following John around, and it says, so two of his disciples were, that were following him, it says, as Jesus walked by John, looked at him, and John declared about Jesus, look, there is the Lamb of God. See, John knew that his whole purpose was not to draw people to himself, but it was to draw people, point them towards Jesus. And so when Jesus came on the scene and John recognized him, he says, listen, that's, that's the one, that's the Messiah, that's the Savior that everybody's been waiting for. He's the Lamb of God. And they would have known what, what, what John was talking about. Like the Lamb was the, was the animal that was sacrificed for our sins. And the perfect, spotless Lamb of God and so it says, and when John's two disciples heard this, that is, these two guys that had been following John and John's words and John's teaching, John points and says, look, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Word. It says, and they followed Jesus. And John was like, wait a second, guys. I thought you were on my team, you know, with me. No, he didn't do that at all. He's like, this is the whole point. And it says, they followed Jesus. Really, that's what it means to believe and to accept. It's, it's to follow. It's to start going after Jesus, following in his footsteps, going where he goes, learning more about who he is, letting his life uh, influence our lives so that we become more and more like the one that we are following. It's why we always say here at the chapel, our mission is to help people what? Move. It's not like just come and sit on Sunday. That's great. But Jesus is calling us to move because he's on the move, to follow him in this life, to become more and more like him. And then it says Jesus looked around and he saw two, these two of John's disciples following him and then he asked them this question, what do you want? Isn't that an interesting question? It's a poignant question. That's an important question because the motivation for believing, accepting, or following Jesus is really, really important to Jesus. So he says, what do you want? It's a great question. I mean, what do you want? What, what is your interest in Jesus? Sometimes we, we, we treat Jesus like the the rich kid with the pool, at least back in my day. I mean, we have a pool now. I guess I'm the rich kid. Uh, I never dreamt that I'd have a, we'd have a pool. It's just an above-ground pool, but it's nice. I'm, but I'll, t I'll tell you, I remember, uh, I mean, when I was 5th, 6th, 7th grade, Doug Stoner. Stoners had a pool. And I mean, I like Doug, but I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. And sorry, Doug, if you ever are hearing this message online or something like that. I mean, I'd call, hey, Doug, what are you doing? You want to hang out? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know. Yeah, I knew. I wanted to go swimming. I wanted to go in his pool. I'm like, hey, will you ask your mom? If, and I'd get over there. I'd, I'd just show up with my swim trunks already. Like, I'm, well, I was just wearing them. I mean, if you want to get in, you know. But sometimes we treat Jesus like the, like the kid with the pool. I mean, I'm interested, I, I want to hang out with you, maybe I want to believe in you, I want to trust you, I want to follow you, but it's, it's because of what I can get out of it. 
And then when we don't get what we thought we were going to get because we're putting our faith in Jesus and following him, uh, it, it rattles our belief. I mean, we're, we're going through a time in our lives, you guys know this, our son's been really, really sick for almost two years. And Jesus is saying, Todd, what do you want? Why are you, why are you following me? Is it because you love me and you believe in me and you trust me? Or is it because you... You're expecting and you want me to do something for your son. And I don't think that it's that he doesn't want to do something for my son. I don't know what he's up to. I don't know what he's doing. But I'm still here. I'm going to keep following Jesus. He's already done so much. And so if he never did another thing, for me, he would be worth it. But it's not about what he, yeah, it is about what he gave me. He gave me a whole new life. He gave me forgiveness. He died on a cross. Nobody else has ever done that for me. So Jesus turns to John's disciples who start following him, and he says, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi. They respected him as a teacher. And they said, where are you staying? And I love Jesus' response. Just come and see. Come and see. And it was about 4 o'clock, it says, in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. They just dropped everything. They followed Jesus. They went to where he was and they, they just wanted to spend time with him. There was something about this man because he was more than a man. He was the word. He was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. And nothing was created without him. And the same invitation that Jesus gave to John's disciples, he extends to to you and me today, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey. If you're here and you're like exploring, you're uncertain, um, you're not sure what you believe about the Bible, about Jesus, Jesus is just saying, well, then just come and see. Just come and see. Keep keep reading the Gospel of John. Keep joining us on the weekends to, to lean in and to learn together and see what you see. And for all the, the rest of us in the room that have given our life to Jesus and we, we know a lot about him, I think Jesus is saying, well, come and see. There's more to see in who I am and what I've done and what I'm up to in our world and what I want to do in your life. And it's when, it's when we take Jesus' invitation seriously to come and see that we won't just start seeing him. When we start to see him for who he is, then we'll start to see ourselves for who we are. And we'll know where we need God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. As, as, we'll, the darkness will start to be unveiled and, and his light will start to creep into our souls. And it's the light that brings life. Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. So I want to end with this prayer that one of our team members shared uh, I don't know if it was this week or the, the week before. It's a prayer that was written by George Matheson. And so here are his words, our words to Jesus today. Oh, Lord, as long as I am apart from you, I'm self-satisfied because I have no standard by which to measure my low stature. But when I come near to you, there for the first time I see myself. In your light, I behold my darkness In your purity, I behold my corruption. My very confession of sin is the fruit 
of holiness. Oh, divine man, let me gaze on you more and more until in the vision of your brightness I loathe the sight of my impurity until in the blaze of that glory which human eye has not seen I fall prostrate, blinded, broken, to rise again, a new man in you. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your week. And if you want some more information about baptism, we'll see you down the chapel kids hallway in just a minute.